All right, guys, welcome to my podcast. Uh, today, I'm doing something different. I actually decided to reach out and reach out to a family member. So this is going to be interesting. I have my older brother, uh, Daryl, here. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Yeah, my name's uh, Daryl Parker, naturally. And um, my brother has had this podcast for some time, been following him. I uh, really like the material. I'm honored to uh, be here as a guest on um on your podcast and really looking forward to having some uh, conversation and helping talk about whatever it is that you know you'd be interested in talking about today great so i'm just going to start with the fact that i talked enough about myself anyone that listens to my podcast probably knows some in-depth details about things you didn't want to hear or either things that are just like you know random facts about me so i just want to give you a chance to kind of like speak about yourself introduce yourself in any way like something about you, whether it's your favorite hobbies or, you know, like yeah. career wise, even if you don't want to speak about that. Yeah. Yeah. So career wise is, you know, a, a really small figment of who I am as an individual, um, probably actually around 2%. So, um, I do help manage, um, quality, um, for a large financial institution. Uh, but ultimately I really enjoy spending time with my children um, I enjoy learning the small idiosyncrasies about childhood, uh, about the development, and how that still exists to this day from a psychological standpoint. Uh, so I've been studying uh, psychology and some quantum mechanics um, for over a decade now. Uh, I'm an autodidact, so that there's no formal schooling in that. It's more of any article or YouTube video um, that I can get my hands on. Uh, science journals and the and the like, uh, and then using that data to go back and question myself. Uh, I'm never at war with the world. I always use the analogy that I'm at war with myself, even though that's a peaceful war and there's no turmoil or destruction going on in there. The only thing that really gets destroyed is the old version of myself in lieu of me creating a better version of myself by finding additional data points out in the field and then being able to test my own beliefs and hypothesis with that and then validating that experiment afterward to determine if it was appropriate, potentially retesting it again or adding additional variables, and then making a determination so that whatever's on the other side of that equal sign is exactly what I decided it should be, um, but also, of course, understanding more things holistically. Okay, well that 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 sums up the fact that he's just a genius. Okay, I don't I don't I don't write these things. He's a little bit more in depth about self awareness and what everything he just said. So I think I had a bunch of different topics that I wanted to talk about, but like I think we should start from like not the very beginning, but just like our childhood, yep. like what it like what it was like growing up and with six brothers and sisters in like a three bedroom house. And just like, you know, our mom and dad being very spiritual and religious in general. And then we can dive into other things if you want. But just kind of like growing up, you know, being young, what molded you and put you on what you what be, might believe is the path where you are today. Yeah. So I, I think that's a very interesting concept. And my belief um, or the perceptional lens that I view our childhood with has changed drastically over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. It's probably changed five or six times. And I have no doubt that the more things that I learned growing up in my own life, um, that I will uh, probably change that thought process again. But, you know, coming from a family, you know, we were probably more on the poor side for quite some time. 
um, after dad got sick. But um, I think that we never really knew about it because there was this richness of love, um, right? Like, so all of our aunts and uncles were super hospitable. For the most part, everyone got along. It, the parts of our family that our our parents introduced us to. Yeah. I, I do remember um, mom making a comment because we never saw them argue. Like, yeah. the, we, I, till this day, still have never seen an argument between them or a disagreement, let alone. True. I and, say that all the time and people don't believe me. They're yeah. like, what? Okay. 100% true. I will 100% attest to that. Absolutely. 100% true. Never seen them disagree before. But ultimately, what they did was they, I found out when I asked them about it, they actually made the decision early on in their marriage that they would never have a disagreement or raise our voice or fuss in front of their children. Mm. And that was something that mom kind of experienced growing up a little bit. So um, the idea that they made that decision early on, a lot of people are like, oh, this relationship's perfect or this relationship is good. Why is mm-hmm. it good? And it's not some magical elixir that occurred. It's that some people have made rules and guidelines like to build a foundation around and then they operate within those guidelines. Wow. And that's actually true. Growing up, like you said, we never saw mom and dad argue. And my mom always, always say this uh, to some of my friends and be like, my mom is like my mom and dad. And I'm not boasting or trying to build them up as to being like these pure beings or people like the, the, like the symbol of humanity. But my mom and dad was just always caring, loving people and yeah. they would give whatever to other people. And I think us growing up watching our parents be so selfless and caring and loving and never truly like, you know, they made jokes. And my dad always made a way to just make us laugh. <laughs> yeah. And it was just crazy. So I think we grew up seeing that. And I always say it's the Disney Channel effect, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like when you watch a Disney Channel movie and everything just lines up so perfect and they don't show you, like the movie ends and you just assume they live happily ever after. Right. Well, I can say that. I felt like I lived in a scenario where my mom and dad were just so perfect and so great together that like, it kind of messed with my mind because when I started dating, I was just like, everybody's just love yeah. and, you know, communicates easily and don't fight. And then when I got in the first relationship and I was manipulated emotionally and then I realized it was manipulation, I was like, dang. People really doing this? Yeah, like yeah. this is real. Like this is not just like growing up tough. and experiencing it in your own household is easy to just be like, you know, your parents are your role models. And I feel like our parents was just so perfect on so many levels. Yeah. That when it came time for us to like go out in the world and pursue our own like happiness, we looked to them as the model or the foundation for what we wanted. And when we ran into or when I ran into bumps, because I'm going to speak for myself, when I ran into bumps in relationships, I didn't know how to necessarily maneuver around manipulation or like someone being jealous because like I never saw that with my mom and dad. You know, most I saw my mom and dad do my most I ever seen my parents get jealous was one. One of my dad's best friends, Chesapeake, came to our house one day (laughs) and he made a joke about getting one of my mom (laughs) or touching her. And then it was just a joke. And my dad chased them down the uh, down our dead end road and then like with a knife and he like stabbed the ground and we thought he killed him. And we were just like, oh, my God. It was a traumatic experience. Even though it wasn't real and it was, you know, planned and there was laughter the entire time that because of all the emotions that get pulled up inside of us, it sears that image into our head. And that's why, because of those emotions, that's why we're so tied to memories. That specific memory we're tied to. Just like people who dealt with their parents in the household potentially fussing or being physically abusive. Any of those things, the emotions that are so strong in those moments are what tie us to those memories. 
And I've actually learned recently that we can go back and we can reduce the effects of those traumatic memories by <coughs> changing the emotions and our perception of what we saw at those mm -hmm. moments. And now I'm, I'm no um, therapist or, or psychologist by any means, but mm -hmm. um, I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the science would point back towards in those conversations that people were having with their therapist that they're you know, suggesting that the memory is different than how they perceived it or it potentially could have been. I No, I agree. I, I think when I look back on memories, like the craziest thing about our parents is like my dad worked a lot. Like when we were younger, before right. he got sick, he worked at the shipyard. He was gone long periods of time. But like all I remember, like I never remember him being absent. Like I remember him being present. And I don't know if it's because in between the time he got sick and the age I was maturing in my mind right. and my memory, how my memory was building. I just remember like my memories I remember with dad is just like us wrestling with him in the living room, mm -hmm. you know, us watching wrestling, him allowing us to watch Jeepers Creep. Um, uh, what, what, what's the skinny guy who was like Crip? Tales of the Crypt. Tales of the Crypt, yeah. yeah he, like, him letting us watch that. When Mama was that say, was a no. nice Cinemax late night or yeah. HBO. I can't remember which one. I remember all of those memories of just like good memories. And I think it's also how your brain is wired. Because some people remember just a bunch of negative moments. But for me, I just look back on my life and I just think, man, you know, I have a lot of great memories, a lot of great moments. I mean, things happen. But for some reason, I think my mind just filters out the bad moments. Because it's just like if I focus on that, then I feel like I'll just be a very, I'll look at the world from a perspective of negativity. Yep. Yeah, that's I think that's what dad really has gotten right over his lifetime is he knows that he is the creator. Um, no matter what his situation might be or what the universe might be around him, he has found the ability to take whatever elements of stardust and possibility and any type of, you know, um, laws that exist in nature he's found a way to mold all of those into possibilities of creation and then he creates it and then he tends to it and then he goes and he creates something else again um, and that's a it's really extremely huge ability to have as a person and no matter yep and no matter what i will say that like my my father always finds a way to like make people laugh or find a comedy in things. You know, he can have, he can have deep conversations. You know, I've had deep conversations with him before, but like, I think my dad likes to stay on the side of like the lighter things in life and being happy and, you know, portraying and putting positive energy out into the universe and the people around you. Because with my family, of course we fight, we get in arguments, we get mad with each other. But I think the fact that we grew up having parents that were so loving and caring and didn't hold grudges against people that might have did them wrong because I have, ex you know, I was there. I experienced some of those scenarios. I mean, I'm a child, so it might not it might be warped yeah. on some reality of like, you know, how it actually happened. But my mom and dad was just like still going to the same church, still going to, you know, be nice and commune with these people and invite them to my house and, you know, check on them, whether it was a storm or just a regular weekend. It's just like we're going to do this. Mom and dad were just, and even mom was like that, not just dad, but like they, I, I think about them and I, I, I try to tell, you know, when I'm in a relationship, I try to be like, I want, I want that, you know, and I get it. It's hard because like not people aren't your parents, right? right? Like you wouldn't even date your mom or your dad if like, right. you know, if they were reincarnated or something and you weren't cross because it would be weird, right? But you look at the characteristics of their relationship and their actions and you want to mimic it and you want to clone it and you want. But we never think about the fact that you don't want to just clone something. You want to take it and you want to take the DNA. You want to alter it. 
to fit who you are and the person you're dating as opposed to being just like, we're just going to be happy and we're just going to follow our parents' relationship to the T. With the person, you're not taking into consideration that the person that you're dating didn't experience that. They might have grew up in a completely different environment. So they might wonder like when you get angry or when I get angry, I like step away, right? Because I've been in a relationship where it was just like, I'm mad. And then I just... And like I'm walking away and it's just like, where are you going? You're running away from the problem. Like, no, I'm not running away from the problem. I get angry. When I get angry, or what I like to say is, um, in a heated rage, the there's an absence of thought. Like I don't have time to process thought if I'm yeah. angry. I'm too busy thinking, like, okay, you're making me angry. Right. So So I, I wanna hit on that if you're okay with this. And I know yeah. this is a bit ex, it exposes you a little more to, mm-hmm. to some raw emotions, right? Mm-hmm. But why do you think it is that you get angry like that? And in, in the, the emotion takes over, right? Because that's why you got to remove yourself because yeah. you haven't learned to master that emotion. Why do you think you get angry? I think, I think most of my anger, I'm, I'm not going to, look, this is not a therapy session, but I, I'm not 100% sure why I get angry. If that's I, your, so that should be your answer. If you're, not 100, if you're not 100% sure, you should always stick to your original answer because that's your answer. What you're going to try to do is you're going to expound a little bit more on it and mm-hmm. I do that a lot and I'm trying to teach myself that when I start to ramble I'll eventually say something that may not necessarily be as as much of a gravitational pull but it's what was in my mind at the moment as yeah. I'm walking working through possibilities and then what you happens later is later on you round back and you're like dang I didn't have time enough to work through this so maybe I should have said this instead so I'm trying to get really good at that but I'll tell you why you're angry to round back and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll pass it back but when we were children because so first let me address your first thing so yes dad had always been super involved in our lives he used to when he was still working it wasn't just when he was sick he would come home at night with these glow sticks from the shipyard that we would break do you remember those yeah Yeah. so he made a a conscientious effort that even though he was going from 4 a.m to 6 p.m every day he still did small things to keep us to let us know that he was there um okay anyway so let's round back why you're angry Mm mm-hmm when we were children being raised, our parents parents did the best they could with what they knew. Okay? We only know what we know. We can't think of what we don't know. True. Here's what happened. In strong Southern Christian households, like the one we were raised, where the Bible was the law, we went to church three times a week, we were there multiple other times doing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. What happened is that because of that strong Christian faith the response to children being bad is to tell them to either stay out of grown folks business right like Mm -hmm. if they're listening to someone else's conversation um, or trying to butt in they also said um, stop before I give you something to cry for and maybe that wasn't necessarily Christian right it could have been some other elements splashed in there but at the end of the day you know be quiet before I give you something to cry for and then it's like, shut all that noise up, like in the store or et cetera, all different types of things. What happened was we realized at a very young age that we were going to get in more trouble if we expressed our emotions. Hmm. So instead of learning how to work through our emotions to sit with them, which is why you'll see some of these parents sitting on the floor with their kid and their kids being bad or throwing stuff and they're not spanking them and other people are judging. Yeah. Like I probably would have about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. 
They understand that the child needs to learn how to work through the emotion so that later on they've developed a skill that they can control their emotions and and stay out of some of the issues that we've run into in relationships, not just personal, but other relationships we need in life to get to the um, to be better in life at that point. Wow. I didn't even think about that. We just suppressed it the entire time. I didn't even think about it. I, I also, I also, when you said that, I was also thinking right before you stopped me and was like, that should be the first answer. Was without going into detail, I think like my biggest problem with anger when it comes to me communicating in relationships is like, I want my partner to take me serious. You know, not that like I'm like I had this. I've had this experience where like someone would ask me. Like, my significant other would be like, I'm having this at work. I don't like my job or something's bothering me. And then I'd be like, okay, well, let's talk about how we can fix it. And then I will say something like that. And then it would be like, no response. Like, just completely ignore me or don't say anything. And then what follow up is just like, okay, well, let me give an example. How about you think about going back to school? And it's just like, what am I going to do? I'm not smart enough. Or no one's going to want to hire me. And then, like, to me, when negativity piles on scenarios... It makes me feel like, well, I'm trying to solve this problem or I'm trying to help you work out your problem. And then like when I feel like someone doesn't take me serious or don't or don't like communicate with me effectively, then I'm like, but I'm trying like and maybe that's not what that person wants. Like maybe that's not how to communicate. And I try and I try to alter myself and just be like, I'm going to listen. And then I would get in trouble because after they say what they said, I don't respond because I'm trying a different tactic where I'm not going to suggest anything. I think maybe they just want someone to listen to them. And then the response is, you don't really care. You're not listening to me. And then I'm just like, I'm damned if I do. I'm damned if I don't. You don't take my suggestions serious. You just shoot them down. And then when I do, you know, and then when I do take an arterial motive or a solution to try to fix a problem by just being a listener it's like i should be talking because you want some me to respond and then i just feel stuck because i'm just like what do i do and i feel like maybe i should just ask but then i still get no response and then i'm just kind of like okay the thing about me is i do not like scenarios of insanity where people do the exact same thing or they complain about things constantly but they don't want to change them it bothers me on a such a deeper level because it's just kind of like you have every possibility. You're a free will being living this world, making your own decisions, hopefully good ones that benefit you and the people in your life. But like, don't just sit there and wallow in sorrow and not feel and feel like you're in a downward, downward spiral. You don't want to get help. You don't want to see a therapist. You don't want to like do other things in your life. And this is not just a relationship. This is friends and family. A lot of yeah. my friends, I'm just like, I can't like I I care when I care about people, I want them to have the best and I try not to intervene or speak too much. But sometimes I just feel like I don't know. And I think there's a a large part of my anger just comes from feeling like if I'm friends with someone or I'm in a relationship, if that person don't value my words as much as I feel like I value theirs, if they tell me something to help me out. There are a lot. Of, I think there are a lot of things at play there, and and I won't necessarily try to comment on on them. But, um, you know, a lot of people don't know how I've learned. Um, I've learned it about, and when I say I've learned, uh, everything that I could ever suggest are things that I've just mulled over in my mind for quite some time. So, um, there have been uh, moments where I just didn't know how to do something, or I didn't really understand 
how strong of a change it would create if I actually tried it. Like they tell you to make your bed when you get up in the morning. And a lot of people, I didn't listen to that for years. I just mm-hmm. got up and didn't make my bed. But you realize um, as you continue to go, it makes small effects. Um, and I have a small story if I can share it no, with you. I, I wrote a while back. It's called The Messy Book Bag Theory. Kind of did a presentation at work on it for some folks. And um, have used it a couple of different places. But basically the Messy Book Bag Theory says that um, you know, a kid goes to school one day. And he shows up in class and the teacher asks for his homework. Well, he starts to reach in his book bag. But his papers are all balled up in the bottom of his book bag with books shoved on top of him because he has a messy book bag, right? And he has to get it out and unball it and give it to the teacher. Well, the messy book bag theory says that the person with the messy book bag also has a messy locker. And they also have a messy car. And if you take that car to their house, their house and their room is also going to be messy. The small things we do in life that we don't think impact anyone else or anything else and it's insignificant, those small details actually have an impact in multiple places, unlimited places in our lives. And there are a lot of things we aren't getting better at because we didn't change those small habits. And we really got to start paying attention to the very small details because those details are what run our lives. Wow. Man, I didn't even think about that. I mean, I guess that's why you make six figures and I make you know, two dollars a day. What I make, what I make is, you know, it's it's relative, right? Like, because mm-hmm. everyone's at the exact same level when their mindset. They think they make good money. They they say I'm doing better than someone else because we got to compare. Yeah. And then we say, oh, but I'm not doing as good as this many people. And then we try to get there. So no matter how much money we make, we're all potentially stuck in that exact same cycle of wanting more, but also having to rank other people lower. It's an automatic thing that happens in our mind psychologically. Yeah. Wow. Um, one one thing I will go back and say to something you mentioned earlier is um, the biggest thing that changed my relationship, my current relationship, um, and it took me thirty some years, right, to get to this point, is when we made the decision, the mutual decision after going back and forth like that so many different times on so many different topics, we made the decision that whatever the other person said was going to be true. And it took us a while to get there. Hmm. But we sat there and we made the commitment and it took us multiple failures, right? Which failure is really practice until you quit. But at the end of the day, we said whatever she says or whatever I say is exactly the truth. Hmm. And we had to believe it, that the other person was being 100% honest with us. And that has worked ridiculous miracles. Oh, man, I'm going to have to use that in my relationship then when it comes to, like, just, you know, whatever they say is 100% true. Because, yep. like, I never I never doubt what, but I feel like I'm being doubted. But, I mean, hey, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But we're going to change the topic because <laughs> that's, like, you know, a whole nother scenario. But, like, so what do you think about um, in relation to... So there's a memory that I remember very fondly growing up and we're going to get into deeper stuff. But just for right now, it just, it just popped in my head and I was thinking about it. When we were younger, our parents let us go outside. OK, there was two two different scenarios. Right. We had a we had a, what was considered pretty much a ditch next to our house, but we call it part time river. Yeah, it was not a river, but we were so small. Not even it close. Could have, it could have been a river to us, maybe on some level or just our imaginations. Right. 
And we went there and I and I remember in particular this one scenario. We was walking on the ice. It was freezing cold and we were walking on the ice and we were just like being mischievously walking on this ice and like it started cracking. I remember this is my interpretation of the story because I don't remember everything. All I remember is I was the one on the ice and then I fell uh-huh. into the ice and I got wet. Yes. And then we were trying to figure out how we was gonna get in the house without Mom <laughs> Sammy while I was getting in trouble. And I was just like, and I don't remember how we came to this conclusion or what even happened. I don't even know if we got in trouble for it. I think y'all made me go in a van. Yeah, there was like a broke. Was there a broke down car in the yard yeah, or something? It maybe it was a van, um, and maybe it worked. I can't remember. But yeah, we made you stay in the van, and we went in the house, got clothes, <laughs> threw them through the window, and yeah. then came back out and got you changed um, to get you back inside. Yeah, so we, I mean, yeah. we weren't perfect, you know. We that was awesome. Yeah, that was fun. And then there was at one time. Also, it was in the wintertime. We went. My parents let us go outside, and we went into the field. And I lie to you not. To this day, you couldn't tell me it was a blizzard. And we was in Antarctica somewhere. <laughs> we went into the middle of the field. It was snow everywhere. It was snowing. And we couldn't see anything but white. And I remember, like, I don't know if someone was, like, leaving me behind. Or, like, I just remember us carrying somebody. Or I think it was Candace dragging her along. And I was just, I remember being scared. Like, oh, my God. We're going to die out here. Yeah, we were pretty extra. Um, I think it, I think that was great though. That was the thing about being a kid or a child is like, you could always be right in the moment. That level of creativity has been stunted by all of the data we've had to learn Mm -hmm. for jobs and how to maneuver through society. And that sheer level of creativeness and exploration and learning through experience all of that stuff has kind of got whitewashed because it's not necessarily needed anymore. So we yeah. just kind of push it to the side and don't do much with it. And that's what we use. I mean, we're supposed to use our vacations for, but most of us don't take vacations. True. And then when we do take vacation time, it's sporadically because we're so busy just doing something regular instead of actually planning something that's going to reinvigorate our lives. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I think sometimes what well, what I do, because I'm going to speak from my perspective, is like even when like... I think I'm so always thinking about the future and like, oh, the next bill or like getting this particular thing paid off in time that like me focusing on paycheck to paycheck or this event happening in my life. Like right now, I'm just like, oh, I got these two weddings in May. Then before I know it, May is going to be here. And the next thing you know, it's going to be June or July. And I'm going to be like, wait, it's already like, you know, six months into the year. Like, I think when we get older, when you're a child, like you say, we live in a moment. We don't look at time on the spectrum of paychecks or bills being due. But when you say, like you say, when you get programmed and you get into the real world and you start looking at time in the spectrum of like, oh, this paycheck, that paycheck, this vacation and this time. Like you want time to go by so fast and you're so focused in the future that, like you said, people don't live in the moment. They just tend to be like, I'm ready for this to get here. And then you look back and you're like, dang, where did 2022 go? Yep. I don't know if I'd be curious to know the solution there is always a solution if we find one uh, that's how mankind has evolved as far as we have um, is that we've always been willing to look outside of what we thought was possible and challenge that mm-hmm. and then once we challenge that we'd find different ways of doing things even if the solution wasn't what we originally thought it would be we've taken deriv- derivatives of the solution which were originally failures and found ways to use those to make ourselves more successful and that's an absolutely dynamic power as well um so yeah it's 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 a really uh it's a really difficult thing when it comes to some of those things um and i think though that if we keep fighting and trying 
um, that we can eventually solve every problem that we have. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with that as well. I mean, hopefully, you know, hopefully I'll look back in five years and be like, man, I remember when I made that podcast and be like, (laughs) I'm so different now or I am slightly altered from the person that I was there, but for the better, hopefully, and not for the worse. Um, So I will say that growing up in a house of like six kids, like all of us there, I fondly remember like... Of course, we got in arguments, so we got in fights. And I don't know why, but for some reason, me and Sam always butted heads. And I don't know why. Like, I, I, don't, I can't remember why, but I think we just always butted heads. Mm-hmm. And we always, like, got in fights and arguments. But, like, the crazy thing is, like, right now in my life, I know we fought a lot. But, like, whenever I see him or, you know, I always have love for my brother and he's always my brother. And I don't think about the time that we was in the field and I kept, like falling back and kicking him over and then we end up getting into a real fight because like he I don't know if he got anger and he got mad and he just wanted like I remember those moments or like the time my sister Candace got her finger got caught in the door and oh, got yeah. cut off you know actually she had a lot of bad things happen to her like she fell out of a moving van yeah I'm not gonna put all her business out there but you know she had a lot of <laughs> things happen to her it was uh, it was a rough go for a while there you know things back to back for her. yeah and then you know and then you grew up and I remember you were the first, of course, you were the oldest. So, like, you graduated high school and you went to ECU. And, like, I don't know if I don't remember that many people that went to college. Because I know a lot of people went to college. But I remember, one, you had a neon car that had fucking lights in the bottom of it <laughs> and in the inside of the car. She was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And you were I also, thought so. You were all playing Sean Paul because I didn't know who he was until you came back from college. And it was, like, put on the... da da And I was just like, we were just like, who the hell is this man? Yes. But then we were all bumping it and, like into it for a while so you know and so what I'm getting at with this in particular is just like all of my memories with all of my brothers and sisters like they mold my perception of them even to this day like you guys are always my brothers and sisters you're always like no matter what they do no matter whether we get in an argument now as adults like we can go months without seeing each other or years and then we'll like reconnect on Thanksgiving or Christmas. And then it's just kind of like, like we pick up where we left off. And I don't know if that's common for most people. Let me ask you, are you, um, is your relationship with your friends the exact same thing? If you strip away the blood Mm -hmm. and you just look at your friends on the same lens based on those same specific characteristics, would you say that your friendships are the exact same way? Hmm. Yeah, I, I I would say so on on some levels. Like I, the thing about it is I don't think I ever try to make friends just for like, I don't know if you want to say gain in like certain areas or like they might have something you want or something like you might yeah. be interested in using them. It's just like I make friends based on like I think how I treat my or how I am with my brothers and sisters. I'm looking for people that not necessarily going to replace them, but I can have a family right. within these group of people and like I can lean on them and we can talk and we have deep conversations. We can have nothing meaningless like let's just drink and hang out and go slip and slide on something. Yeah. You know, or go bowling. So I think I try to make friends that are like that have that same level of connection with my brothers and sisters. Yeah. Because I don't think I want someone that's going to like that I'm going to fight with all the time. Like I do have arguments with some of my friends, but like not on the lines of like someone used me, like fool me once, fool me twice. You know, more right. like I'm very strict with like I'll meet somebody if I get a vibe and I like them. Cool. If I don't, then I just block them and I don't try again. Yeah. But I'm like I said, I'm just very picky. I think it's the same. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's that's good, though. But what that, what that will ultimately mean um, is that 
you control the narrative that you tell yourself about your connection with people and about how you respond when things don't go well. There will always be problems that exist in any relationship. So how we respond to one relationship is how we respond to all relationships. And that's how some people, like our friends, um, they we hang out with them all the time. We love them to death. And we see them just like family. Not that they should replace family, but also our belief is that what does blood really bind us to? Right? Yeah. Like, it's good to say I've got blood brothers and blood sisters because I love y'all with all my heart. And that will never change. My mm-hmm. deep relationship with you can never be replaced. However, the same love that I share you and share to, I share to all mankind. Yeah. And if I'm not that consistent, am I really truly um, authentic as a person? I want to be what I am. I can't be everything. But what I am, I want to be it fully. So if I say I'm love, I can't love one person less than I love someone else. That love is multiplied on each person and it's weighted the exact same. And then it comes back to me. Wow. So, I mean, this is this is probably a little bit controversial. But, so what you're saying is is that like you equally love your kids and no one is your favorite. Uh, it's actually <laughs> funny. It's actually funny you say that. So uh, years back when I was studying quantum physics, I can't remember who it was, but it was this video I watched all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, does the world really exist? But there's a guy in there talking, and someone interviewed him and asked him a question. He said, this guy interviews me. He said, which one of your kids do you love more out of the three kids he had? And he said, ultimately, his answer was, if I were to cut you three slices of this pie and give them to you, over 30 minutes and I ask you which slice tastes better which one would would you say and the answer is that they all taste exactly the same Mm. and so his point was that it's not that there's not an answer to that question it's that the answer itself is just absolutely inappropriate true okay that's good well I can say mom loves Christmas (laughs) that's okay I I I mean I'm joking I don't know I don't know I don't my mama loves us equally. We all stress her out on some level. And, <laughs> of course, you know. Of course, and I see my mind. I'll be honest with you. I never thought about who they about who they loved more because I feel like if I entertain certain questions, mm-hmm. that only creates a rabbit hole that opens the possibility more of something bad coming about. That like nothing good can come about me thinking about who my parents might like might love more. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, if the answer is a certain thing, if I'm not saying I'm ignorant to it, but if there was a certain answer, what could I change about that answer? And does that change who I am as a person or how much she loves me, regardless of what that love might appear to be between them? True. Wow. Well, look, everything I say, you just crumble it up and throw it in the trash. No, no, like, no. Oh, no. That, nope. That. So, so you know me. And a lot of times people will think I'm controversial, right? Like, or I'm always so. trying to be, um, I, here's what I do. I like to challenge the perspective. That's how I'm, that's how I've gotten better at writing. That's how I why I love certain movies like Christopher Nolan's movies. Phenomenal, right? Mm-hmm. And I get to see all these different levels. Instead of just automatically going with what the first thought is, I try to think of every potential thought that could occur. Who would think it? What their background would be like? What their present would be like if they chose that decision? And then what their future would look like if they continued with that decision over the future? And then I test all of those over time and then I try to make my decisions. And so all I want to do is show people the the various worlds that exist out here that we can be a part of if we're willing to change the way we think. 
because we can't change ourselves or anything else until we change the way we perceive things. Which is true. I, you know, I agree with that. So, I mean, the choice is insignificant. I will say that. Uh-huh. I don't care what choice you make. That, like, that's the great thing about it. You get to make whatever choice you want. There are multiple perspectives for a reason. So, I am there for what I need to be there for, mm-hmm. and to think through those and to present the data. But I don't believe that whatever choice you make is wrong. Okay. I think I think it, there is no right or wrong in certain instances. Wow, interesting. So, uh, sorry, I'm running off the. No, no, no. You know fine. how I like to do it. I don't. I that that's fine with me. I mean, <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of running out of topics in my mind now. Because I just felt like we went into so many different areas and talked about so many different things on a deeper level that I'm just kind of like, wow, well, where could I go from here? And I think one thing that I did write down on my notepad that we could talk about <clears throat> was like, of course, I've said before in my other podcasts that people have listened to it, but I'll say it again. It's like, I mean, we were raised Christian, you know, and the crazy thing is the way we were raised, I didn't feel like. There was like Pentecostal Baptist. Like I don't ever remember those titles. I just remember my mom and dad being like, "We're going to church. We're Christian." Like you know. Right. And when I got older, I realized there's just division. There's like so many different churches or versions of like the church that you could possibly go to and what they believe in. And I was like, "Man, why is Christianity so divided for a book that's supposed to be you know?" I guess, but everyone has their interpretation, the perspective of life. So how you read it is your own interpretation. But I guess what I'm trying to get to. It's like, where are you, like, since we both grew up spiritual and we were both involved in a church in different areas of our lives, maybe multiple times or just once, like, what do you feel like you are spiritually in your life right now? Uh, I will say religious wars have been back well before the Bible with people's beliefs and thinking differently, right? And whatever God that may be, whether that be some omniscient being in the sky um, who controls everything or whether it's just the God of whatever it is that you believe is most important in your life, right? Like God exists in many forms. Um, and I think we, we say that in church, but then we don't really believe that because yeah. we dismiss what other people believe and dismissing what other people believe is not really existing that God exists in everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that that's kind of where my spirituality is, right? And um, it's not that I do not believe, it's that I believe it all. And I really believe that if... Because you think about the Tower of Babylon, right? They mm-hmm. used to talk about Tower of Babylon and, or Babel, I believe it was. They're building this big tower to the sky and God had to divide their languages so that they didn't build a, a tower to the heavens, mm-hmm. right? So are they saying that maybe they would have got to a level of atmosphere that wouldn't have been appropriate and could have killed them? Mm-hmm. Or was that really literally saying that they were going to build a tower to reach heaven where God was mm-hmm. if they were stayed on one accord? Wow. It, if it is the latter... Right. If it is that they were going to actually reach the throne of God, would that not mean that the culmination of everyone working together with all their different perspectives, beliefs and knowledge put together puts us back in the level of being in the Godhood that we should have been in? Hmm. And Go that, ahead. I'll leave it there. I mean, I, I, I never thought about it from the perspective of like God could possibly possibly divided them in language not because he was scared that it was going to get to him but more than that, I was like no y'all going to kill each other you can't breathe this far up you're just going to die yeah. and you're going to make thousands of people die trying to complete this tower because back in those days they probably would have been like oh they keep dying well we'll just keep sending more <laughs> up there until we get where we need to be Yeah, you know and plus, there's a plague 
Yeah, like I don't think there is, and that's the crazy thing about like growing up in a church and then getting where I am right now, finance, like spiritually where I am right now is like, I feel like, and I said this in one of my podcasts that people have already probably listened to by now, is that internal, like, I, and I said this earlier when we were here before we started a podcast, which was like, I feel like the church or organized religion on some level, because I'm not against that, right? I don't, I don't hate or dislike any church or any form of religion or people that don't even believe that might be atheists. I just feel like everyone is valid in their own point, like you say. But I also feel like the church tries or churches, people might call them cult mentality, but churches tend to be like, we need to congregate together. We need to stay around like-minded people so we can spiritually be stronger. And then we kind of report or turn to this one pastor or pope or whatever title they might have. There's just someone who's higher up and you all kind of seek that person and take knowledge and wisdom because you believe they're at this kind of hierarchy level or close enough to God where he speaks directly through them to deliver a message. Right. And my thing about that is, is like I was talking about this was just like, I don't think for me, after I got outed by the pastor or he prayed for me and told everybody that, you know, I had homosexual thoughts and whatever, what happened in that moment for me, and I don't know if many people know, is just like, I always tell myself, even to this day, that that version of me died. Like, not like physically, but like mentally. You have to think, the thing that I was feeling and I was dealing with internally, before I even approached the pastor and started talking to him, I was dealing with it internally in myself when these feelings started happening towards men. And then I spoke to him. I, my, I didn't talk to mom and dad. I didn't tell them. I went to the pastor myself because I was raised a certain way and I was like, I need to speak to someone of a higher level. Kind of what the church kind of does. is like, you need to go to someone who's close enough to God that God might speak through them to provide or reveal something to them to provide that information you need to kind of fight off or win the battle that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to him for weeks off and on telling him, you know, this and this. He made suggestions, you know, if you think about it, you know, pinch yourself you know, or if you have these thoughts, you know, immediately bend down and pray to God and ask for forgiveness. You know, I was used doing all of these things he was telling me behind closed doors for counsel, doing these things secretly, and it wasn't working. And then the moment that he practically pulled me to the front of the church, I didn't know what was going to happen. So when he said it, I just remember very vividly time slowing down. Yeah. Like when the words left his mind, time slowed down. I don't recall how long it happened i don't know if it was a few minutes or if it was like just a few seconds when he pushed me down and i fell to the ground and like you know and now i look back on it i was like those people probably felt like he was delivered that's why he's on the ground crying but in my perspective i felt like i was thinking so many possibilities what is my family gonna think you know i haven't done anything to this point like how can you so you didn't fit you didn't fall because you were mended you weren't in tears you were mended you were you were down because you were in despair yeah i would i was i was trying to figure out how i was going to rebuild myself how was i going to get up and walk back to where i was sitting and feel like the whole church was looking at me and judging me and these let me explain something this was not a church of just like a a mega church of a hundred and some people and i didn't know half of them this was like all family and friends and really close people it was a very small church there might have been 50 or 60 maybe 70 people very small community very small town surrounding so there that information didn't just stay with one locale it surrounded you by everyone that you Mm -hmm. wouldn't know and i remember getting up and i remember sitting in the back of the church and the only thing i thought about i was pissed I wasn't even mad at the pastor. I was mad at God. I bypassed the person who did what they did to me. And I went straight to the source where I felt like I thought I did all the right things. And I confided in your servant, the person that 
I know in my life to be the closest thing to you apart from my parents, but I wasn't going to tell them because I don't want to be judged by my parents. And you allowed this to happen. It wasn't until like after we went back home and I went kind of walking off in the field by myself. And I remember walking in the field and I just remember, man, I can't believe I'm saying this. I remember rebuking God being like, I'm done. Like, I cannot believe, like, I don't understand. I didn't do anything. We've all done. We, I, I wouldn't say we all have done it, but yeah. I've, done, I've done it. I, I get it. You know, I was just so angry and I did not like, I, the crazy thing is I wasn't even thinking about a pastor. He wasn't even cross my mind. It was just like, no, you, like you, the one I prayed to, you're the one that I did this for. And I dedicated, like we were raised in a church. So all I knew was Christianity and God. I had no access to any other religions existing, even though I knew they did. I just knew they were wrong. Yeah. You know? So all of that happened, and I remember going through the film and being like, I'm going to kill myself. Like, I was like, I'm just going to kill myself. And it was this one time that I think y'all found me in the kitchen or something, and I had a knife. And, like, I remember, <laughs> it might not be correct, but I think y'all started laughing because y'all thought it was funny. And I was like, I mean, I didn't even know how to kill myself. I wasn't even smart enough to know. So, like, I just knew, you know, I didn't. And I, plus, I really didn't want to do it. But what I mean by when I say I died in that moment was, like, in that time frame that the pastor said what he said... And I had to get up and walk to the back of the church. There was so, like I said, time slowed down. And I felt like I had to think of every possibility, every outcome. Was my parents going to kick me out? You know, was my, like, would people treat me differently? Would my friends like Andre and other people not want to even hang around me anymore because they don't believe? All they think is I'm a homosexual, you know? And when we grew up, there was only one homosexual man in town. And he like, you know, he would always He was shunned by, yeah. by the community. I remember those stories about how he got... Locked up or something for messing with some some boy and it, who knows it, how it was it an older boy was, yeah you know who who knows no one really talked about that part but because he was homosexual I, I do remember they stayed on the back street yep and you know people would go by there were stories around the town about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. and you know it was crazy and I and yeah. that's what I was also scared about like would people just be telling stories and stuff and I just went through that whole phase where I was just like that version of myself but I'm so happy because I think about it now I was just like. If I wouldn't be who I am today, if that wouldn't have happened, if I would have just kept like, what if I had believed that I was delivered and he did the right thing? And then like at some point in my life, I don't know what would have happened. You know, maybe I would have just suppressed it and married a female thinking that's what needed to happen and then live what I believe would have been a false life and probably brought kids and a white woman or another human being into a fake reality or false like sense of reality because I'm trying to push this narrative that I've been taught and kind of programmed in me since I was younger. But luckily for me, I think what ended up happening was the best thing that happened was the black church in general don't know what to do about homosexuality, especially back then that it wasn't talked about or it wasn't talked about to me. Like no one approached me. No one treated me. It was just kind of like hush, hush. Like, right. No one one talks about it. Mm -hmm. No one talks about it. So since no one talked about it, I felt like, everything that happened to me was internal and less like me being approached by other people or people actually treating me different. It was just kind of like, hush, hush, don't talk about it, don't nobody say anything. Yo, so I'm, I'm going to say this. And first of all, I apologize about you having to go through that. I know I didn't do it directly, but I apologize on the behalf of those folks for what they did or didn't do inadvertently. Yeah. It, it's not okay. Um, and... I wish I had the know-how back then, know how serious your what you were going through was, uh, and that we were closer, that you would have felt 
safe confided to me earlier on and that I could have been that voice that you needed in that moment. So I'm going to say this, the instant, every institution, and I don't want to just harp on the church, but mm-hmm. every institution that exists has the exact same problem. The companies you work for, right? A companies that we would typically work for, then they would typically have an overall arching statement that says, this is who we are. We're here to enrich the lives of people. But somewhere in the hierarchy in multiple places, it's extremely hard to root out. There are those bad apples, those bad managers who talk to their team members or they spread the information when they shouldn't, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And now that could be at work. That could be in your friendships where there's someone who takes your information and gives it to someone else and they shouldn't have. That is in, you know, mental institutions. You can, I mean, you could talk about finance companies. It exists across every spectrum. And so the idea is that I want you to know that even though you experience that, that who you are can't be tarnished by something that is external to yourself unless you allow it to be. Because that's going to always exist in your life. So what we allow happen to us in one aspect will affect all the other aspects without our knowledge. So you stay true to yourself. You keep believing in who you are. And no matter what happens, then you remember that you can use that as power to become more of who you are as a person and raise your voice. Um, And then the last thing I'll say about that is that uh, at the end of it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people don't want it, but the way that the government has been going to um, uh, companies and making sure that their HR departments are right, that people have them right. Are your how many women do you have at the top uh, versus uh, you know like men? What's your um, diversity look like in here? Right? Mm-hmm. How many African American managers do you have at this specific level? They're getting involved in all that type of stuff now, mm-hmm. and it's helping alleviate some of the issues or a lot of the issues that exist at the core from these factions that exist that yeah. people can't seem to get around that they've been complaining about, you know, since the early days of industry, uh, and nothing's happened. And I think that same thing needs to happen with the church. Oh no, I I mean I and I don't want to make it seem like I don't care for the church because I don't. Right. My issue is is that I like you said it 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 happens in all institutions in all forms, but like I'm I can only speak from my perspective and right. I spiritually I still believe, do believe in God and I tried to find a church when I went to Greensboro. I didn't have a problem with it. There were some LGBT friendly churches that I went to and I looked at, um, but I just feel like I feel like. My thing is, like, the thing that bothers me the most is, like, the whole protection of the church that's kind of been intertwined into our government where, like, churches don't get taxed. And I'm just like, I don't understand how that makes sense. Like, regardless of whether you believe in someone's religion or not, from my perspective, it's still a business. If you're asking people for money, then that money should be reported and you should pay taxes on the fact that you're giving people money. Because, like, how can you collect millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars, even if it's a small church, you're collecting money. Right. You're taking people money. You're telling them that either one, you're on the extreme. You're kind of using people and saying, give me this amount of money, you know, or you should be giving 10 percent. Like I remember going to the church and like when I first got my first job at Burger King, my mom and them like, make sure you're giving tithes. And my grandma, oh, God, (laughs) grandma will always be like, you giving 10 percent to God or what, 15 percent to God. I'm like, I remember tithes. All right, man. I mean, you know, I don't mind paying tithes, but like is the like we went to a church. I don't know if it was Pastor Riddick Church, but like. No, I don't know what church it was. But remember, like, they would call families to the front of the church sometimes and, like, take up an offering to help them. 
Yeah, like, I remember that. That those moments like that in church make me be like, man, different. this is this is yeah. amazing. Like I fact, forgot about those. I forgot that happened. Yeah, yeah that happened fact, quite a few times. The fact that they would be like, you know, this fam- they wouldn't even say what the family was going through. They would just call the family to the front front of the church and say, you know, this family is going through some things. Who would like to give to help this family out? That was this that was the gist of it. And I think yeah. that happened to us once, or maybe one of our family members. Yeah. And people would just give money. Like that's moments like that that gives me faith in humanity. Like yeah. it's not about the pastor wearing a nice suit, right? And it's not saying the pastor don't deserve it. But I remember the days where pastors actually worked and still were the head of the church, right? Yep. Now it's just like it yep. becomes like a business, right? Because that's the whole thing. It's like, well, I need to be compensated fully. God talks directly through me. I need. You know, you need to take care of me. And I'm not trying to say it's okay or it's wrong because, like, it's to each their own. If the church want to do that for them, they're fine. But, like, if I were a pastor or if I were of some higher, even in a job, if I was, you know, making big money, I feel like I would always try to give. Sometimes I would see a homeless person on the street and I would offer to give them a burger or I would be like, you know, let me sit down and, you know, have a conversation and I can get you something to eat. You seem cold or you need some money. Yeah. Something like that. Like, I don't expect anything in return. I don't expect them to say thank you. I don't expect them to see me next time and be like, oh, my God, you know, thank you for helping me out. I, I do those things because you give and don't expect. Right. Right? Because I think that's the, fewest po- that's the fewest form of, like, just being a good human being from my perspective. It's like, you know, so the church not being taxed is something that I just never understood. I was just like, now, at this point, like, you have mega million churches and... On TikTok, which I probably shouldn't have, I'll see like I'll, I'll people post it, and I don't know how I got into this genre of TikTok, but it's like it'll always be like a mega church pastor standing up, being like, he, the one it was this one pastor, he was looking at his watch, and he was talking to the Congress, and he was like, look at his watch, ooh, three hundred thousand on my wrist, God just blessing me. Now, if you give three hundred, I buy can get a jet. Like, are you serious? Like, this has to be like a joke. Like, this has to be like a comedy thing. And then I got stuck in a TikTok where it's just constantly like these pastors like standing up in front of the congregation, asking them for things. And I'm not saying all churches and all pastors are like that, you know, or any church, not just Christianity, but any religion. Yeah. I just, I, I just always feel like there's a level of corruption, and a small, pers- and that always gets the news and gets on people's mind more than a small dedicated people like that church we went to and a man was taken off for families and still worked a full-time job but i don't know i don't know i was just ranting about like i don't want it to make it seem like i don't like the church right or have a problem. No, I, I just feel like it's an institution that collects money from citizens that work their hard-earned money and pay taxes and also give to the church the church should be given back to the government so the government can provide services to the people that yeah. just makes sense to me like if a church makes a billion dollars, you telling me they can't be taxed on that at all and they just sit on it? Even and that's not even just the church, it's also like nonprofit foundations. Like how do you call yourself a nonprofit but you actually paying your employee like you gotta be getting money from somewhere. Yeah. I won't I, I can't speak enough on um on that aspect, I will say. Um and you know me, I always like to I don't like to be the person to play devil's advocate. I don't like that because it's, you know, I'm not advocating for the devil in any fashion. Um, I am simply advocating for uh, a level of understanding and and hope for all things. So I think for that, for me, I just don't know, right? Like, I mean, the nonprofit had to be established for a specific reason. And in addition to that specific reason it was established, there had to be a categorization that an institution could fall under or criteria that would fit a specific nonprofit or 
right? So then you have all these other nonprofits now that can fit into that mold, and they're different type of institutions that do different things. Yeah. So I get the grouping from a mental perspective, and doing additional research would make more sense. However, there are things about the church I also agree, the exact same thing, um, that there are things that should be done. Yeah, they probably shouldn't be a nonprofit and should be taxed. Perhaps, yeah, my honest belief, though, at the core of it, is that every city um, should, or county should have one specific church. doesn't need to be a building. It could be a bunch of tents put up in the field. Let the church own the land. That's perfectly fine. Put the land in all people's name, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact. All right? And generations of hundreds of people will have land that they could say is theirs, yeah. even if they never own land. All right? Anyway, we won't go down that rabbit hole. So you have that happen, a bunch of tents. Everybody get together. You hang out. If you want to do something specific on the Sunday that you're supposed to have church, if you're going to use Sunday as, if it's going to be Saturday, that's fine too. Whatever day it is that you're supposed to have church, instead of standing there preaching and taking up offering, everybody hit the streets and you go out to places that you know need help. If you just hear about a home that got destroyed by a fire and you see the people trying to pick today's stuff, everyone's going to meet over there and help that. There was a hurricane that came through two weeks ago. You know what we're going to do for church for the next six months until we're done? Everyone who's able is going to get together. People who want to cook because they can't do physical labor are more than welcome to cook. People who ha- can do physical labor and, and are strong enough, let's help sort this stuff out and cut down some tree limbs and haul this stuff off. Yeah. And we all do a bit of the job so it comes out of our pockets equally. And when it comes out equally amongst that many people, it's a very, a very small amount that doesn't really impact that person. Yeah. You changing the world and you're not giving your house away for it. True. And that's that's true. I mean that's I hmm. I I agree. I, I think maybe a solution for the church would be like if a church make a certain amount of money they they report revenue to the, you know, government and then what if you meet if you are in a certain tax bracket or if you make a certain amount of money, then you have to pay taxes on that. Because there are some churches that just, you know, aren't making that much money to be able to pay taxes. So you know, or like may not like because I mean we went to a lot of small churches when we was growing up like I always said mom and dad was like uh, traveling ministers like we would go to a small church help them musically dad would be a, you know help with the instruments mom would help sing sometimes yeah. and then we that once church got big enough I feel like we would always just move to another church that was small and then help them and I was telling Chris the other day on our podcast was like listen I feel like my parents gave us the perfect scenario and solution is we never stayed at a church long enough for it to get big enough and then possibly get to a point where it could be corrupt. We were there long enough to watch it build and grow, right. and then we would move on to the next one. And I'm not trying to say we went to like a thousand different churches, but I just we went feel like, to enough. Yeah, we went to enough. <laughs> yeah. to feel like we weren't just stuck at one church for 20 we years were, yeah, or 15. Yeah. I mean, four. We have four or five, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe six. I don't know. And right and, now they're going to the same small church. Yeah, maybe, and that was the, that's now an official family church. Uncle, oh Larry, wow, Uncle Larry started right. Yeah, uh, yeah, he bought the building and they started that and bought that church and then he started the church and now when he passed away went to Uncle Howard. So now it's actually at like a family thing, which is pretty cool. Wow. Um, oh, but who's gonna get it next? That's a good question. But go ahead. What were you um, say? I hadn't even thought of that actually. Um, I I would I th- I would hope they have all of that stuff in order. Um, yeah. So. Okay, anyway, yeah, I'm sorry, what were we talking about? We're, well, I was just finished talking about like how we went from church to church and helped them become big, and then we would move to the next yeah. church and stuff like that. Yeah, I wonder if that was automatic, like if, it, if that was the actual thought process of our parents, you know, that 
Um, they just always had to change, so they had so they had to shift from one church to another if they felt that their collect their collective mission um, as a Parker family for our household was to help people who really needed help and get them to the level where they could take care of being for themselves and then transition to the next person who needed some help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if that was a thought process. Wow, I'll probably have to ask mom and dad about that because yeah. I don't. I like as a child, you don't, you just go with the flow. You, you don't do. make those yeah. decisions. There's no so choice. You, yeah, you don't know why they do it, but they did it. You know what? Craziest thing because it's going on an hour, almost an hour now. But I will say, change the topic after I say this, and maybe if you want to rebuttal and say something. But I remember a particular church, right, uh, Mount Sinai in Murfreesboro. I remember when we used to go to like that building. That would used to be like a college, and it was an auditorium. Yeah, oh yeah, it was oh, an auditorium man. of my old. It was actually, I think, my preschool building mm. before we transitioned in pre-K to the brand new school. Um, can't remember the name of it. Yeah, me either. But I remember, like, I remember us going in their auditorium. Like, remember them breaking ground for when they bought the land and stuff, and like. And then for some reason, you know, once they got, I don't know if it was before they built the church or they was about to build the church, but we like just drifted off and we started going to Pastor Riddick Church or some other church. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Pastor Riddick was before Pastor Randy or was it after Pastor Randy? I don't remember. I think I was pretty much transitioned out around, mm-hmm. I transitioned oh, yeah. out around that time and I was in college during Pastor Riddick. So that would have been oh, 2002, okay. which would have been prior to, <laughs> that would have been after Pastor Randy, I think. Yeah. But um, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Wow. But yeah, I mean, that that that's just that. Like, I will always have love for my faith and what my, how my parents raised me because I think they did it the best. They didn't shove it down our throat, but they made sure that we were present and active in the religion that they practiced and they believed in without making us. Like, once we got of age, like, I, honestly, I don't know when the last time mom has asked me when you've been in church. But I think, like, sometimes she'll call me and be like, I want to pray for you. Or, you know, have you, she knew I was looking for a church and stuff. But, like, I don't think they've ever once called me and tried to be like, you need to go to church or you need to do this. It's just, you know, how you been? What you doing? You know, you grown. You make your own choices. Stuff like that. It's like a level of respect. Like, they didn't force us even after we got of age where you consider us adults. 18 yeah. and 19. It was like, you need to find a church while you're in college. Right. Like, well, I don't know. They never told me that. No, so. no, they didn't. I mean, they they've never been that authoritative with us about things. Uh, certain things growing up, right? They had strong rules, but they were never authoritative about our own freedoms as we got older. Um, and you know, they're always mentions of you know mm-hmm. Jesus this or God this, and that has tr- tw- trickled down drastically since I was in college from mm-hmm. uh, with mom um, and calling me and stuff, but. I also am not as out there as I was in college either yeah. doing keg stands um, behind a frat house. Um, so who knows if it tapered off for that reason. But still, they, yeah. you know, we have conversations and there's not this constant thing. I have faith. I believe. Mm-hmm. My belief might be all-encompassing. Um, but I had a, a conversation with my son, um, DJ, a while back. And he was kind of just talking to me about, you know, my spirituality and yeah, he felt like I was thinking too logically and, you know, some other stuff, right? Like, am I being spiritual enough? He, valid questions yeah. from a teenage kid who is really 
uh, into Christ right now mm-hmm. uh, and wants to spread that word and he wants to understand why his own father may not have a certain level of faith or why I'm thinking the way I do. Yeah. And that was in the shoes. You know, I was oh, headstrong yeah. in religion for oh, a, a very long time. Probably McDonald's, four times more than McDonald's fries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Didn't even talk to my parents for two years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think we need to do better and focus on what we can actually change and how we have those items. Um, you know, and, and DJ, so DJ and I we were saying, and I'm sorry, I, I was I'm drifting off somewhere else there, but DJ was talking to me about that. And I basically responded back to him about um, that portion that, you know, everyone does the will of God differently. Just because you think that, you know, certain people are supposed to say, you know, or I used to think and everyone in that strong realm tend to think that, you know, I should be doing something a certain way and saying, oh, well, you need to go preach to the highways and talk about Jesus and, and tell them all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't say I'm not a believer because my mission is to love people a different way. Every person I meet, I give them a type of love that they've never experienced before. And then they start to go try to find that love. And that love is actually what you symbolize as God. And that love is eternal. And that love can be multiplied, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's who you're worshiping. And so that's how I live and express my faith is through a general, strong love for everybody. No, I I, I, I agree. I think. And I I still fuck up. (laughs) It happens. Yeah. No matter how hard I try, I still fuck up. I mean, because we're human. Like, we. I'm not, that's not an excuse to be like, well, we all fuck up, that we're human, that's what we're supposed to do. But I look at it from the perspective of just like, (sighs) growing up in church, I felt like people wanted me to blindly follow, right? And DJ mentioned something to me like that too, about like, what's your faith like, you know? And like, being a critical thinker, sometimes people would be like, well, if you're a scientist then you can't believe in religion and that's not true a lot it's of scientists not. believe in some form of a higher power or a god whether it's a christian or whether it's mormon or whether it's a different religion the more you learn the more inescapable it becomes yes because there are things that you science is not put there to discredit the, the bible science is put there to just do what it does you come up with a scientific theory you test it multiple times to try to get the same results and then that kind of is like okay that's fact we yeah. do this this happens so like even now we don't understand a certain amount of thing a certain a certain thing but a hundred years from now they might look at wow they were stupid like they <laughs> they, they will yeah they were like they did they had no idea about anything they were just dumb they didn't have the knowledge back then and you know right now we think we know so much and we're so far but like i'm just like you know if if nothing happens no no catastrophic event happens that wipe half the population out and there's a reset you know, but hopefully, you know, we advance. I just feel like right now, in regards to humanity in general, whether you're religious or not, that like being a critical thinker or being someone who questions things it doesn't make you a bad person. You don't want to blindly follow. Like, I think that's the thing is like people want you to be like, just follow me. Say what I say. Don't question what I say because it doesn't matter. But, and this is even at work at your job. Like, I think it's good when we have team meetings at my job. And they're like, anybody got any questions? I know they get tired of me because I'm always just like, I got a question now. Y'all talking about we're making this change. Did y'all think about what's going to happen when you do this As you and should. how it's going to affect me, right? Yep. Because all, all, all corporate thinks about, like, managers think about is, like, we got to, well, I would say this from my perspective. Right. Whenever I'm in a meeting with my managers and stuff, 
All they do, and it <laughs> pisses me off, is look at fucking charts and run numbers. I get it. Data is there and it's proven to be effective if you tweak things and make things right. But sometimes you have to remember that the people at the bottom are the ones doing the work. Like you can be like, I got an idea. I want to implement this into the team. And it's the same thing with like life. People at higher places want to be like, I have ideas. I want to implement them. But you don't really think about, or sometimes I feel like at least in my job, they don't think about what the repercussions or the fact that the people like me have to put in extra work to get those numbers or tweak my, like, and I don't mind tweaking my behavior, but like I, to like help get these metrics. But I want to make sure that they understand that it's going to require more work on my part. And I don't think they understand that sometimes. I think people who used to be in IT, speaking from my perspective, when they get in management positions, they forget the implementations. I've had managers sit down and tell me, well, well, they'll talk about something changing. I'll be like, well, what about this? And they'll be like, well, I don't know how that process works. And I'm like, okay, so you're making choices and decisions, but you don't really know the process and what it is that we need to do. Well, I'll have to look into it. And I'm just like, all right, I give them the benefit of the doubt. They're probably in meetings all day, crunching numbers, doing spreadsheets and, you know, making sure they're ready for the next meeting and going to multiple meetings. But like, I don't think sometimes in IT management understands or even the whole spectrum of life. When people get to a certain level, they forget where they came from or not necessarily where they came from, but like the process or how hard it is when you're at the bottom, when changes happen from the top and how it affects the person at the bottom. Because I feel like I'm affected all the time. Like right now we just went from like we were salary and it was just like the system will automatically assume we work eight hours a day. Now they just recently changed where we have to clock in. And why they was just like, okay, you're going to clock in, you're going to clock out for lunch, you're going to clock back in when you're working, and then you're going to clock out at the end of the day. And then at the end of the meeting, I was like, okay, that's not bad. I wake up early anyways, boot up my computer, get ready, get myself ready for the day or whatever. Then at the end of it, it was like, by the way, on Fridays, you need to have your hours, your timesheet for the entire week submitted by 12 p.m. I'm like, how does, wait a minute. (laughs) And I was like, wait, I'm confused. How am I supposed to work that Friday, but also have the time, like my entire week submitted by 12 when I'm not done working the shift that I'm in? And it was like, well, you should be able to enter the information like ahead of time. So the first thing I did while I was in the meeting was I went to the HR website and then I tried to put in a time for the future clock in. And it was like, you can't do that. (laughs) And then after the manager had finished talking, he was like, any more questions? I was like, question. I just went to the HR website <laughs> and I tried to do my hours ahead of time. And it was like, you can't do that. He was like, we'll look into that. And I was like, our time used to do tomorrow. <laughs> like, what Like, what do you what, what do you want us to do? And, what it, and I get it. Managers have a certain responsibility. They also want their jobs to be easy. I think they probably didn't want to stay after five confirming everybody's timesheet. You know, they was just like, oh, I just want to get off at five, too. I don't know if that's what their thought process was. But why else would you need people to submit their time sheets by 12 on a Friday on every of every Friday of every week of the month you know so you can approve it because you have the managers have to approve it you know for it to go to like payroll so my I'm sorry I went to talking too much my whole thing my whole thing was is just like I try to always remember no matter where I go and that's how I treat end users when people call in and they need passwords resets or application is not working or like I have to go into a server and restart something. 
I always remember that, like, at one point, I was an end user. I didn't even, like, they don't know how to, some people don't know how to boot a computer. Some people don't even know how to, like, get a program to work if there's an error that happens. They're just, that's why they're calling me. That's why they're trying to get the problem fixed. So, sometimes I get frustrated because somebody will be like, my printer's not working. And I'm like, that's broad. I need specifics. And I try not to be like, okay, I'm frustrated. Because, like, you call me, but you know nothing. But you forget that they really don't know anything. So, people in higher places, whenever I go up or I get in a better team or I'm doing better, when new people come in and they ask somebody to train, I'm interested in doing it. Because I knew what it was like to come into the company and feel like they weren't giving me enough information to know everything. Right. So I went on a it's tangent. tough, man. No, it's it's tough. And here's the thing: most managers, no matter how savvy they may be at a specific process, did not go to school to be managers. Most companies don't have sufficient management training to provide or to equip those people who are becoming managers to effectively lead a team. So they get lost in various responsibilities or duties that aren't necessarily important or that could potentially be delegated out to other individuals and thus do not have conversations with their team appropriately at the right time and consistently um, or able to provide a level of direction ahead of time. What you should do whenever you roll something out, right, is you have to also find out who else is going to be impacted. That's what change management's about. And that's why it's so vital for all of these companies to use in every single space is you have a change management program. All right. A change is going to happen. It must be communicated to change management. Mm -hmm. Change management then gets all the details of what's changing. And then you find out, okay, we have 15 different departments. How many of these departments pull them all together and find out how many of those departments are going to be impacted by this change. Then once you have those answers, you can get everyone together to talk about those changes that want to be implemented, mm -hmm. how it's going to impact the system um, logic or how it might impact in downstream processes. And then you come up with the solution. Then you have to have a small group to test that potential solution. Mm -hmm. And then you can start implementing those type of things with a widespread communication before you push somebody into something and testing something. And that's the appropriate way to handle processes or mm -hmm. setting up new processes. I mean, and I also understand that some things can slip through the cracks, you know? Like, no matter how many managers you have, uh, hopefully they try to cover everything. But, again, we're human. It's not an excuse to be like, it's okay to mess up. Right. But I'm just saying, like, you know, we're not computers that are programmed to do one task and we do it well. Mm -hmm. Even computers don't do certain tasks completely well without crashing. I mean, yeah. so, but... I mean, I'm not going to hold it anymore. You know, I want to thank you for coming to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You know, it was an experience because I've I've never invited any of my family members to a podcast, and I was like, okay, Daryl is the most wisest, so <laughs> it should go fairly smooth. But I mean, thank That's you for debatable. the podcast. Is there any final words that you might want to say or anything? No, just just thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm proud of the work that you consistently do. Just keep it up. Uh, keep challenging yourself, and, and that's the same for those out there who are listening. Keep challenging yourself. Keep uh, questioning why you think the way you think. Um, if your foundational principles that you refuse to let go of, whether it's that you have to protect you know, a specific person or that you need to take care of someone, you know, start to question why you think that way and how appropriate there is. And not just question them, but go out there and find other possibilities that exist Right. Learn from other people who have relationships with other people and see how their relationships are. See how they pack their 
um, clothes in a suitcase, right? So that you don't have to keep refolding your clothes. See how they do all the small details. Um, and uh, you know, don't forget to change. Well, thank you for coming, man. And we'll definitely have to do this again, brother. Thanks, bro. All right.